Welcome back to part two of the Clone Saga extravaganza of the Ultimate Universe. One quick note here before we get started. I made a boo-boo. Yep, it happens every once in a while. I misspoke when I said Donovan Morgan Grant was not a part of these episodes. I went back and re-listened to him again, and for some reason I completely blanked out that he was already a part of the show. So, now these are not pre-Donovan. <laughs> these are post-Donovan. So I want to apologize to him. Anyway, uh, part two is going to be two issues, again, covered by the six-man men panel. Uh, these six issues include annual number two, which came out the same month as parts four. Uh, three and four of the Ultimate Clone Saga, so we'll cover part three and annual number two at the same time here um, on the Teenage Wasteland Ultimate Clone Saga crossover episode. So this is part two of five here on Clone Saga Chronicles, the podcast, of course, powered by Spidey-Dude.com. Whoa! I don't think I even want to hear your story. All of you must hear the Scarlet Spider story. My name is Ben Riley. I'm related to this reality's Peter Parker. How? I'm his clone. Or maybe he's my clone. We're not sure. I'm the real Spider-Man. I don't know what kind of mind game this is, but I'm the real Spider-Man. The real Peter Parker. You see? I thought I was that clone. I tried to stay out of Peter's life by taking on a new identity. I dyed my hair, changed my name to Ben Riley. When I became a costume hero of the Scarlet Spider, it really made him angry. The next big blow came from Dr. Kurt Connors. He discovered that, according to our genetic structures, it might be Peter who was the clone, not me. That news pushed Peter Parker over the edge. Now he hated me with a passion. This is starting to sound like a bad comic book plot. It gets worse. Why didn't you just tell me I was a clone? The cloning process has proven unstable. You're coming apart. So, uh, hey, Gerard. Yeah. Um, do you know that Ultimate Clone Saga? You, you know how it, like, stretched out forever, it seemed? Ugh, like the real one? I know, right? <laughs> you, you, you know, I figured we might as well add a couple of people into this next episode because we wanted to clone ourselves, right? Yeah, that and the fact that we had that whole breakup where we had the fight, and then all of a sudden we split our episodes into two separate recordings and all that nonsense. Yeah, we, we just want we wanted to heal the world. Welcome like to Michael the. Jackson. <laughs> Healing the world one kid at a time. <laughs> Welcome to the Ultimate Clone Saga Extravaganza Part Two. I am Zach Joyner, and I am joined in this episode with the usual gang, but also the man, the myth, the legend. Zachary Henderson. I thought you were going to go John there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you had, didn't I? Yeah. Hi. And the other guy that's pretty legendary is John Wills. Pretty legendary. Come on. I'm like, uh, I'm like 2% more legendary than John. Yeah, exactly. The only thing legendary about John is his need to get a goddamn haircut. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You really went there, you little mother, <laughs> didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> 
Starting some set off the small. Exactly. Of course, in this episode, we're joined also by Jason H. How are you doing, sir? I'm all right. Gerard, I've already talked to. And Donovan Morgan Grant. Hola, muchachos. And this episode, we're going to be reviewing issue 99 and 100. The doubles. Double or triple, quadruple size 100. That's a ball phase lie. Is it a ball Wait. phase lie? Yeah, because I'm stupid. Um, oh, the- that's right. You are stupid. God damn you. Okay. <laughs> uh, we are going to be reviewing annual number two, which I totally forgot to grab in my stack of stuff. And, um, oh, you issue need it? 99. Yeah. And issue 99. Yeah, okay. Annual number two and issue 99 because somebody is OCD anal retentive. I don't know who that could be. What does the second annual have to do with the Clone Saga? It came out while the Clone Saga was going. Okay. And (laughs) and because we're following the format of Teenage Wasteland, they're doing it chronological order, so... Yeah. And, okay. and if you if you if you've listened to any John Wil- of John Wilson's podcasts or podcasts he's involved in, yeah. <laughs> well, well then, John, if you're going if you're going by everything Ultimate Spider-Man in chronological order, I'm assuming you covered the Ultimate Spider-Man game shortly after issue 50, right? We talked right. about it. We haven't actually, covered it yet, but we did talk about it. We're gonna actually no, but it would have been after 75, I think. It was September of 05 when it came out, so. Uh, we're actually almost a year after it came out at this point in the show. So we really should do a show about and, it pretty soon. Because yeah. everybody's played it by and now. About, and it's about a year or two before Bendis completely contradicts it with, with his arc, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, we have the, the second annual we're going to cover first, and then we're going to go back into clones. Um, does anyone else have anything before, we, before I recap? So, Ultimate Spider-Man Annual Number Two uh, was released on August 9th, two thousand six, with a cover date of October. And we have writer Brian Michael Bendis as usual, but penciler for the annual is different. It's Mark Brooks this time. The inkers are Jamie Mendoza with Mark Morales and Victor Olisaba, and Mark Brooks. Colorists are Laura Martin with Larry Molinar. Letter is VCs Corey Pettit or Petite. I'm not sure. Uh, production, whatever that means, is Brad Johnson. Associate <laughs> editor is John Barber. We lost our Nicole Boose as associate editor back with issue 97. She's no longer on the books for whatever reason. Editor Ralph Macchio, editor-in-chief Joe Quesada, and publisher Dan Buckley. Now, hey yes. You might if I cut you off for a second? The, produ- what the, for the production credit is the person that assembles the colored pages with the lettered pages. Because when after the inker's done with the uh, inking the pages and they're sent, they're put up on the FTP, they split it into a low-resolution version and a high-res version. The high-res version goes to the colorist who colors it, and then the low-res version goes to the letterer. And then the files are put together by somebody in the production office. So the person, that. That let, the person that's lettering is not lettering a colored page. They're lettering a black-and-white page okay. in order to you know, speed up the time. So the production <laughs> person is the person that... I found it. I found it. Yay. Zach, am I not talking over me giving really interesting, critical information? <laughs> well, no, no, that's really cool. Oh. We've actually been kind of making fun of the credit because it just started being listed about maybe 15 issues back. And we yeah. didn't know what it meant, if that was like the intern or what. Because <laughs> it's different every issue. It's, it's, it's not the same person all the time. Yeah, that's the thing. It's usually done by somebody just in the office. It's oftentimes not a regular person. And that's why it's not even credited. You know, ninety ninety-five percent of comics don't credit who the production assistant is, or not, I, production assistant is even the right term. The production person, 
assembling the comic. But he's not with the producer, because that would be different. <laughs> no. Okay, so this story was a little bit difficult. I wasn't sure exactly how to recap it, because it's told with a lot of flashbacks. So mm-hmm. that, that just interrupt the flow of the story really annoyingly. So rather than tell the story in the order it's presented in the comic, I'm going to piece things together and tell them as they happen, like flashbacks first, story next. So um, we're also going to see a lot of plot threads that were picked up from the Warriors arc as we go, that we covered several episodes ago. Um, so I'm going to start with Frank Oliver. He's a crime boss who has somehow acquired the nickname of the kangaroo, poor sod that he is. He's having a fancy dinner with a friend <laughs> named Arcadian. Yeah, where do you get that name? I'm the kangaroo. What the? Anyway. Maybe he's Aussie. Uh-huh. Maybe, maybe he's Aussie because everyone in Australia is a kangaroo. Uh, yeah, exactly. Faustus. Michael J. Crocodile Dundee. So um, the kangaroo is having a fancy dinner with a friend named Arcadian. When Wilson Fisk shows up behind him, very menacingly, he speaks very nicely at first, kindly suggesting that Oliver either do his criminal business in another city or go through the kingpin. Kangaroo doesn't take this too kindly, and Wilson Fisk leaves angry. So Oliver thinks that Fisk is scared of him, and he yucks it up with Arcadian. Arcadian is not so sure. So later, attorney Matt Murdock gets a visit from Arcadian, who lets, him, who lets Matt know that if he wants to help work against the kingpin, one guy he can help is a man named Frank Oliver, who does not operate above board, but does operate contrary to the kingpin's interests. Matt takes the contact info, and after Arcadian leaves, rather than planning to take on a known criminal as a defense client, he puts on his Daredevil costume and uses the contact info to start tracking kangaroo down. So that same day, Frank Castle, the Punisher, hears that Frank Oliver, the kangaroo, has been filling in the void in the crime world left behind by the Kingpin's fall. So he kills the guy who's boasting about it, and this leads to him being tased, and then take to the hospital, of course, because he's, you know, unconscious. But he breaks out of the recovery room and escapes from prison. The next day, Captain Jean DeWolf has been called to the hospital because Moon Knight has awakened from his coma which was induced at the end of Warriors. But by the time they get to his room, he has disappeared. His several personalities, Mark Spector, Stephen Grant, and the little red-headed girl that we don't really know why she's there, they come together to wake him up, and he was, able to bu- he was able to bail out of the hospital just in time to miss the captain. Cut to, finally, Spider-Man, putting the whale on Shocker. Again. I'm pretty sure this makes like seven or eight times now that Ultimate Shocker has been taken down. He wonders out loud how Herman manages to not be in jail over and over. And Franklin Nelson, attorney at law, happens to be in the crowd, and he suggests that Spider-Man actually, you know, take Herman to the cops instead of leaving him webbed to a lamppost. So Spidey shows up to the station to drop off the shocker. Captain DeWolf is there and asks for a roof meeting where she asks that Spider-Man go after a guy named Frank Oliver whom people call the kangaroo. He's not super happy being asked to beat up bad guys, but agrees to check the guy out. After he swings off, Jean reports the events to the Kingpin because, as we know at the end of Warriors, she's a dirty cop who sometimes looks like a dude. <laughs> so Spider-Man... It's a man, baby. It's a man. <laughs> it's a mess. Yes. At the end of that Warriors arc, she totally looked like a man. She had man hands, man face. It was scary. So... Spider-Man goes to the address that she, he gave him, 
in time to find Daredevil <laughs> beating up on the kangaroo and some other guys. Daredevil. Just because Gene DeWolf is a hermaphrodite. <laughs> <laughs> like Lady Gaga. Oh, snap. Oh. Daredevil is not pleased to see Spider-Man at all. He picks him up by the scruff of his costume and throws him out of the bar through a broken window. The kangaroo takes advantage of the distraction and starts wailing on Daredevil, but Spider-Man webs him out from outside just before the Punisher, who is one rooftop over, launches a bazooka missile in their direction. Spider-Man and Daredevil are not caught by the explosion directly, but it does throw them to the side where the Punisher starts firing at them with machine guns. Moon Knight then swoops in and gives some trouble to the Punisher long enough for Spider-Man to reach the roof and take on both of them. Meanwhile, Daredevil's on the ground and knocks out the kangaroo, because in the Ultimate Universe, bazooka blasts don't do that well enough. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm serious. Because a a goddamn bazooka blast doesn't f*** you up. No, no, no. (laughs) You get back up after one of those. (laughs) Be like, boom. It's like Goldberg when he was, uh, you know... Getting hit in the face with a baseball bat. He just shake it off. <laughs> so, the police arrive as the kangaroo is being knocked out through the wall, and Spider-Man is punching Moon Knight. Spidey webs up Moon Knight and the Punisher and heads for ground level. Captain DeWolf is on the scene and whispers to Frank Oliver that his capture is the Kingpin's doing. Spider-Man starts helping with the crime scene when the Punisher fires several bullets from the roof, all of which hit Captain Jean DeWolf in the chest, killing her instantly. Spider-Man flies up to the roof in a rage and starts wailing on the Punisher, because evidently I really like the phrase wailing on. I've used that like five times now. Wailing on the Punisher, that's six, but hears from both him and a recently arrived Daredevil that Captain DeWolf was a dirty cop who worked for the Kingpin and might have even been sleeping with him. (laughs) (laughs) She's usually on top. She's usually on top. (laughs) She better be, or else she'll die. (laughs) I'm so sorry. the cops take the Punisher and Spider-Man, Daredevil... Oh, the cops take the Punisher and Spider-Man, Daredevil, and Moon Knight get away. That night, when Mark Spector makes it back to his apartment, Daredevil is waiting for him and asks if he would be interested in joining a group session um, of heroes. Sorry, that joke didn't work at all. Uh, interested in group, joining a group of heroes to work together instead of at odds to take down the Kingpin. And in his penthouse suite, Wilson Fisk is sad. The end. I don't know why he's sad, but he's like totally sad there. At the he's end. sad because he's, he's getting a nookie tonight. <laughs> no, tonight. I, think, I, think, I think it was supposed to be implied that he actually cared about uh, Gene DeWolf. I can go with yeah, that. Yeah. I, I I didn't catch that when I was reading it, but I. Um, well, she said she'll meet him at 11 o'clock, and the clock at the final panel says 11.22, and I think that's the implication. So um, let's start with um, Donovan. <laughs> okay, um, you know, out of all the issues that we have reviewed and what we're going to review uh, in this little crossover here, I gotta say, I really this one this one's probably the, the least effective for me, and it it mainly comes to the fact that I don't know how the Ultimate Universe is supposed to is supposed to measure up in these days. I mean. When it started out, it was a modernization of the Marvel Comics characters, so they can, you know, so they can be presented in a different light. And um, now, with we have like Ultimate Punisher and Ultimate Daredevil in here, it 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 really kind of like 
especially the fact that they're pretty much looking exactly the same as their 616 counterparts, it kind of calls on a perception of what they're supposed to, what they're supposed to be going for. And that's that's sort of my main thing. I'll, I'll explain it in a second. I, I will say I love Mark Brooks as an artist. Like he is one of my favorite comic book artists, and I think that um, when Bagley left, he would be the, the logical uh, artist to go to because I mean he's not Bagley, but he has just that kind of style that that makes it I think appealing for everybody, and it really does work in this issue. Um, but back to the story, like one thing that really kind of like annoys me right here is the, the portrayal of Ultimate Daredevil. I mean, I suppose if it's Ultimate Daredevil, it's, it's fair game, but he's such a prick in this issue. I, I don't. I mean, there's nothing really likable about him at all. And he's yeah, never guess, nice to Spider-Man. No, he, he's he's always a dick. From from like, day one, he's been he's been rude to Spider-Man. I mean, because Spider-Man's like, a kid. He's like, you're a kid. You have no business being out here. You have no experience. Get off my streets. Yeah, that's what super special number one. Oh, even during oh, right. the, uh, I remember that. I remember the that. Ultimate Marvel team up was the same way. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, there's a Daredevil Punisher. Uh, yeah, they met in uh, like it was a Spider-Man Daredevil Punisher story. Yep, issue yeah, seven. It's, ultimate, it's Ultimate Marvel team ups issue five, six, and seven. That was a long time ago. Yeah, but the thing is, Ultimate Marvel team ups place and continuity is disputed, right? The only what? issue that doesn't really work is the Fantastic Four one, which was a comedy issue. Most of the rest work. Eh, okay, I'll take your word for it. That's what Bendis said. <laughs> well, then again, like I pointed out in the chat window earlier, Bendis also had Kong have like four different names throughout the course of the series. Yeah. <laughs> so, Kenny. It, it, uh, what was what it, was Kong's names? I thought it was Kenny. Kong Harlan. So one at first it was like Clifford Harlan, right? Then it was Kenny Harlan. Then it was Kenny McFarlane. Then it went back to being like Clifford McFarlane. Then it changed to something. I don't even. I don't even can keep track of all these things. At least I, I, remember, I remember McFarlane. Can, I don't remember the other. Kenneth uh, McFarlane Clifford. Kong. Trust me, it changed. Yeah, no, he's right. At one point, it was Clifford. It's changed at least three times. First, first, first and last name, not just like either or. His first and his last. Maybe name. he has an alias. Yeah, the, the alias is what makes it easy to actually just call, just call him Tom, please. And then he starts like with the purple mohawk and wearing like sort of like the the, the, the became, gay bar, the gay became, bar from Police Academy. He starts <laughs> like that. The, 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 blue, the blue oyster. Yeah, the blue oyster bar. That's it. He starts dressing all blue oyster with a purple mohawk. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Was, did you have more, Donovan? I'm sorry. Uh, well, it's just that, like, I don't know. I mean, it's basically, it, this issue basically comes down to everybody being annoying. I mean, you have Punisher. He's, he's like, you're all dirt, you're all scum, blah, 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 blah. And then he's basically like that in the, ultimate, the original the, the, the scene, but he's a lot more appealing in there. And it's like, okay, I can differentiate Ultimate Spider-Man and regular Spider-Man, and I can sort of differentiate these guys with their, their regular continuity personalities, but... What is like, like we we know what Ultimate Spider-Man is in the Marvel Universe because like his whole storyline is that fact that he's going to become that's that's what I got from he's going to become like a, a serious contender in terms of like the new heroes that have popped out. But with these guys, it just seems like like they were they're pushing there just to push in there, and the fact that like they're in the story at all really just it it's it's, it's a little too weird. 
I mean, I, I don't know how to fully articulate it, but um, I did like I did like uh, Punisher um, killing Gene DeWolf. Just I, I thought that was a really good ending for the story, and how Peter found out how to find out by him that uh, she was a dirty cop. I, I kind of like that, but this is this is the overall story. Um, I mean, I w- I really wasn't. I mean, the art kind of saves it, but I would I would give it like a like a flat C, with, with a lesser art than C minus or a D. <clears throat> What do you think, Jordan? Okay, I have. Hang on, okay, I have. Sorry. I have the revelation of of Kenny's name. Uh, first, he's called. Uh, first, it's it's hinted that his name is Harlan in issue fifteen. Harlan in issue fifteen, his mother calls him Clifford. Uh, in Ultimate Marvel team up, he's later called Kenny. And the official handbook of the Marvel Universe, he's referred to as Kong Harlan, aka Cl- <laughs> Clifford Kenneth Harlan. And in Ultimate Spider-Man issue eighty-two, his Name is real to be Kenny McFarlane. I remember the Kenny McFarlane from '82 because it's the most recent thing, and it supplanted everything else in my brain. Yeah. Yeah. Now we just all call him Kong because it's easier. Right. <laughs> Maybe he was in witness protection. And- He's off making out with Kenny <laughs> right now. Oh jeez. Because she's emo too. <laughs> yeah, she's emo too. Well, you would be after getting dumped by Spider-Man. Oh, that hasn't happened yet. Okay. Um, Gerard, what'd you think about this annual? You know, I like the annual. I, yeah, honestly, I, I, I probably like the annual more than any of the other issues for that that we're going to be talking about through this whole cross. Really? Yeah. You didn't it's like little... it? Oh, well, okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get there when we get there. Poor Zach. Um, <laughs> um, for, first of all, I, I got to echo Donovan on the artwork. Uh, Martin Brooks also drew the first Ultimate Spider-Man annual which is actually one of my absolute favorite issues of Ultimate Spider-Man. With, you know, when they introduced Kitty and then yeah. the relationship with Spider-Man and they got together and all that stuff. Um, but major plus on the art, color really great, especially during the sort of tw- evening time dusk scenes that have this very orange palette to it. All very pretty. Um, like Don, I also like the, the way they sort of concluded the Gene Duel subplot. Because after, I mean, it might be a little quick to kill her off after finding out she's dirty, but as far as character endings go, that was kind of interesting that, you know, she met her end, then he finds out sort of after the fact, while he's in kind of a rage from the Punisher, that she was she was dirty. I, I like that a lot. The, the actual structure of the book, though, is kind of like hit or miss. Because while I like the idea that the story sort of converged together, I didn't like the technique Bendis used, like having all the weird flat... Like, John, was when he was doing his recap, he couldn't even, like, recap it without... He had to rearrange it in his own order to start to understand, like, how the, how the story fit together. Exactly. Uh, Crap. So, <laughs> hey, 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 relax, relax. It's a good story that's told in a really kind of unorthodox kind of way, and I don't know. If I read it once, I, I would have really disliked the issue. But I actually set myself when I first got this issue saying I have to understand how these pieces fit together. And it was actually kind of an interesting thing. I, I wouldn't recommend that, you know, as being a typical structure for a story. But as like an annual uh, one-off kind of story, I don't know. It's not bad. I like it. The the one major gripe I have with this the, with, is how it fits between Warriors and Ultimate Knights. Because Ultimate Knights is the next arc. <laughs> the Clone Saga, right? Right. And it's theoretically in the sequel Ultimate, to this. Yeah. In Ultimate Knights, the Kingpin is kind of doing what he's doing because his wife 
is like comatose, and that was sort of one of the driving influences between what he's doing. In this story, he's cheating on his wife with Gene DeWolf. Those two things just, to me just don't jive together. Was Bendis like I don't know how far he generally plots pretty far ahead from what I understand. So well, almost, Kingpin obviously needs his nookie, and he's not getting it, so he's got to go somewhere. But the whole point the is, I can't really buy his devotion to his wife if we've seen only several months earlier that he's not devoted to his wife. You know what I'm saying? I guess that's more of a complaint about Ultimate Night. You know what? He was end. killed off, and they never really went anywhere with that subplot about his comatose wife anyway. Yeah. yeah that's true. It's kind of one of the disappointing things about killing him off. But... Um, yeah, the, the the super sadness at the end. They never mention his comatose wife in this story, but in the larger continuity, it could be that the rumors that he's sleeping with Gene DeWolf are fake, and that he is still really sad about his wife. But then, when Gene DeWolf is talking to him, it seems pretty heavily implied that she's meeting him to go, you know, go play hide the lost. Wow, wow, to hide the kingpin. <laughs> like I, you know, I don't know. Maybe that that could just be us reading into the phone conversation, but I don't know. I'd have to read. No, you're it. right. It, it, it's implied several times. I mean, put it all together, it's definitely implying. And so it makes the whole overall. You're right. It makes it all look weird. And a, a couple of like weird miscellaneous like items. I don't even know how to like categorize these because they're sort of nitpicks, but they're kind of funny at the same time. Um, Moon Knight's friend slash girlfriend, whatever her name is, the chick mm-hmm. with Marlene. She's blonde in this issue, but I could swear she was a brunette in in Warrior. Yeah. Well, she probably got a haircut and was like, I need, I need some alone time. I've been sitting in this crummy apartment for six weeks, and so I just needed some of my hair did, my nails done, my feet done. and so. Zach, Zach, stop telling me about your day. We're talking about comics here. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's like your default info. And the other thing is, if you look at the... I remember, I actually distinctly remember when I picked this up at the comic book shop and I saw this cover. I swore that that... If you look at the Punisher in the back of his head and the way that web's coming out, it looks like one of those like, douchebag ponytail things. Yeah, yeah, like from the 90s. Yeah. It doesn't help that the web is like the same color as his hair. I don't know. What the hell is that? That's actually... That's pretty bad composition, by <laughs> Just for the record, his girlfriend was a blonde in the previous story, but the entire scene was in a dark room, uh, so it's it, there's a, it's very heavily inked. Well, but where where this color like, is blonde? Isn't this doesn't this version of Moon Knight have like four different personalities, or yep. is that in the regular Moon Knight too? Because I don't really know anything about Moon Knight other than he's like the Marvel ripoff of Batman. Batman. This version of Moon Knight has four personalities. I have no clue if the regular Moon Knight does or not, although I've never seen it referenced before. And hey, regular. you can you can uh, shoot us an email over at clonesdogchronicles at gmail dot com to answer that question. Yeah. <laughs> so make sure you make sure you at cc teenage wasteland one three three at gmail dot com. There you go. That'd be great. Thanks. Unless your name. Never mind. <laughs> not going to go there. Never mind. But yeah, I liked it. I think I'll give this issue overall a B. I, I like this. I, I don't know. The Ultimate Spider-Man annuals to me were like some of the strongest ones. Well, the first two. The third one, not so much. Fail. <laughs> <laughs> I'm allowed to disagree, Zach. Come on. No, you're not. You're supposed to be lockstep in what I believe in. You're on my show, damn it. <laughs> uh, 
my opinions of the annual two. I like this issue. I I thought it was good. Um, it it's it's kind of weird weird at first just for uh, to see an Ultimate Spider-Man comic that doesn't have Mark Bagley on the art. What what? Uh, oh, never mind. Okay, <laughs> like I'm not punching you. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <that's> sweet. <laughs> I got money. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. No, um, I like this issue. I Punisher is my second favorite comic book character ever. So anytime I get to see him, you know, shooting criminals in the face is a good thing for me. Um, it's it's kind of weird for Gene DeWolf to be evil because I'm a fan of Gene DeWolf in the regular Marvel, uni- Marvel Universe. And, you know, it's the ultimate so they can do what they want. But uh, there's really thought, nothing in common with them except for the fact that they're both the female captain and the police. They have they have nothing else in common. Yeah, nothing. yeah. No, um, I thought it was a good issue. I I, I can't. I really cannot freaking stand Ultimate Daredevil because, as you've all pointed out, he he's a dick. He is a humongous asshole. Um. I, I guess the thing that I probably liked the most, besides uh, Punisher shooting Gene DeWolf, which I thought was kind of funny the way it was done. Like, no, no. <laughs> it's like, you just shot Gene DeWolf, my only friend of the cops. Yeah, she was a dirty cop. And then Daredevil's like, yeah, actually she was. She, she kind of deserved it. And if Daredevil's like, yeah, he, he that person deserved to get shot, you're, you're kind of fucked. And then That's they're like, I... like and, oh, by the way, she's boning the kingpin. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, by the way, she sleeps with the kingpin every Tuesday. <laughs> Punisher's like, she's a whore. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, if you use a whore in a political context, she gets drunk. All the more reason uh, to shoot. Entry... Punisher uh, had to make an entry I... into his whore journal. Holy <laughs> 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 oh, journal number four. Punisher the wolf. Forrester bitch. Written by Garth Ennis. I can't even. I can't even finish that damn statement. Don't don't. You know your Punisher sounds just like your Batman, and your Batman sounds awful. Ooh. <laughs> God damn. No love for Zach. Oh no, no you're, you're the one who told me I could fucking AIDS dick. Fuck you, Zach. Um, <laughs> Why don't, you, why don't you go Hitler. play in traffic and die? Let's uh, know about the contentious behind-the-scenes hatred that we all have because we have to save it for that behind-the-music episode. <laughs> I think we should do a behind-the-music episode with the Clone Saga Chronicles. That'd be funny. We're just all screaming die at each other. That'd be awesome. Um, it's going to be such an editing nightmare. <laughs> okay, Dude, Bat- can't like that. Actually, I say that, but it's not that hard to do, like, huge tangents. Could you just start at the beginning of the tangent, listen to the end of the tangent, and just swipe it all out? <laughs> yeah, but there are parts of this, of my review in this tangent. Um, I, I did like the part at the end that had uh, Daredevil saying, you know, I'm putting a team together, we're gonna stop the Punisher, sorry, not Punisher, the Kingpin, so he's doesn't have one of these nights where he's laughing. And there's the Punisher, like... <laughs> My Nookie's dead. But <laughs> I thought, <laughs> that's the core of the podcast. My Nookie's dead. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. you. You broke my vagina. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> okay, okay. No, no, but I like that. I do think, yeah, it has problems because it, it goes against the original 
uh, characterization <laughs> of the Kingpin, who is really de- devoted to his wife. But I thought it kind of humanized him, if you want to call. Holy crap. <laughs> I'm sorry, I've got South Park out in the background, and one of these New Jersey <laughs> Shore women is raping Cartman in the butt. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> anyway, dear God. Okay, so um, no, I like this issue. I'll 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 give it an A because Punisher shooting Kingpin's nookie is lulls. <laughs> Damn, that's right, Jason. <laughs> this issue's awesome. Screw it. <laughs> okay, so Zach, tear it apart. Oh God, I no. Okay, I'm sorry. This was crap. All right. Number oh, one. controversy. Uh, number one. I, okay, I like Mark Brooks' artwork for the most part, except for the fact that he draws essentially straight lines for the webs. That annoys me. All right, that's number one. Number two. But that's how they would be. <laughs> no, I like the curve. Okay, look at the Bagley. Uh, look at the cover of 101 with the with the curved webs. Okay. Like the curved down, curved webs. For the most part, it looks like he's just drawing straight lines in boxes. Okay. Oh, you mean on his costume? On the costume. I thought you meant his swinging webs. No, no, no. I'm no, sorry. No, yes, on the costume. You're right. Go for it. All right. So that that that's that's pet peeve number one. Pet peeve number two. The way they do the flashback, then not flashback, then not flashback, then back to the flashback. It's like back to you, back to me. Look at your man. Now look at me. All right. No. <laughs> All right. No. If you smell like a monster and you know the word on. <laughs> exactly. Um, oh, I don't. Why? Why does? Why does? Oh, why does Punisher have hippie hair in, in prison? Uh, why do we have to be hippies? Because we have long hair. Why can't we just like to have hair? Because I like to say the. I, I like to You're say the word. Assholes? Actually, there, there's a reason why I say hippie about about anything with long hair because uh, I'm trying to tweak a certain person that was on our message. Who doesn't about. listen to this podcast? And I know a lot of there are a lot of people who are metalheads who have long hair, and we detest hippies. Of course, I've got no hair, but but it stands. So whatever. That male pattern bothers must suck, right? And for um, some Native Americans, it's a religious thing. They never the men never cut their hair. Yeah. But you know, be that as it may. Um, Daredevil. Uh, I Daredevil. I mean, let's let's just face it. He's a, and like I don't know. The DD on his costume is inconsistent. I know I'm I know I'm nitpicking, but damn. Um, and, and, and Kingpin being oh, Kingpin sad. <laughs> Kingpin cry tears, <laughs> tears of tears of sorrow. Um, <laughs> I bought and just, everything, man. Uh, and then I love the fact that instead of uh, the freaking kangaroo, the freaking kangaroo. Seriously, really. That was the best character they could ultimize. Okay, we've ult- officially it's fallen off the rails of, of terms of ultimization. We're gonna ultimize the goddamn kangaroo. Okay. Oh, but he was a real Ramina creation. I don't care. He's still the damn kangaroo. He's still full of fail. Ah, F. Actually, F, no, really? No, no, no. no, no. D. Uh, D plus. D plus. Because D the plus. artwork outside outside the lines on the on the Spider Man's costume, the artwork was pretty good. But I did really? just Punisher shooting in the face doesn't do anything for you. That makes me sad. Who no. shoot in the face? Nobody gets shot in the face. I mean, I, I, love, the I love Cap punishment as, as much as the next Texan. <laughs> 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 so yeah, uh, but 
No. Um, Punisher, he, he acts like a douchebag. Mark Scepter, really pointless. All this was was giant filler for the warrior for the next arc. So, yeah. Okay. Um, Ultimate Zack. Yes. He flips his pages back. No, that's all I have to say is yes. <laughs> no, seriously? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to have to go with other Zack on this. I really just did not care for this issue. Woohoo! I'm not the only one. Thank you. One, I hate Daredevil. I think it's. Awesome. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Ultimate Daredevil. Let me If Kevin ever listens to this episode, he's going to kill you. Oh, he'll have to kill me first because I don't like Ultimate Daredevil. No, 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 but he. I'm assuming Zach's referring to Daredevil in general. No, 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 no. He, clar- he clarified Ultimate Daredevil. Oh, I thought I only heard that you hate Daredevil, period. I'm sorry, my bad. Never mind. No, I like cool, uh, old regular Daredevil. I hate this Daredevil. So there's that. I think um, we all hate this. Uh, little side note, uh, the Kingpin sad thing. What I really liked about it is uh, the other day my friend showed me what he has on his cubicle, and it's a sad little Keanu Reeves cut out sitting on the top of his cubicle. And he says whenever he needs a chuckle, he'll just look up at his sad little Keanu Reeves. <laughs> And that just really reminded me of that. So I liked uh, that part. Oh, I kind of want to get a cut out of that and just put it somewhere in my room so you can have a sad little kingpin to look up at. But um, Sad kingpin sad. <laughs> uh, really just didn't like the issue. I like that Jean DeWolf died. Really hated her. And this continuity, Ultima. And that's really about it. Well, she was kind of a whore. <laughs> I'm kind of a kingpin. man. It's a man, baby. <laughs> I give this. She's a man whore. But a, no, that would be my my soon to be ex my ex roommate that's uh, soon to be married. Sorry, Levi, I threw you into the bus. That would be the members podcast, am I right? Oh, oh, oh! Oh, damn it! Josh showed up. Oh, I mean, uh, hey, how's it going, dude? Yeah, I could hear everything that you said for the past few hours anyway. because I'm gonna have to edit some of it. <laughs> Hugs for Tony. How you doing? Uh, next question. Indeed. So we're still talking about annuals. But I think we're about to wrap it up. Zach Henderson, did you have anything else? No. The art was uh, different. Uh, I liked it. It's just when I was reading through the first time, I would just obsess over the art. It it had to be Bagley drew drawn a certain way when I first read through it. it. I don't know why, but it just did. Um. I'm torn on this issue. It had things I really liked. It had things I did not. The entire structure of the story is so jarring. Uh, Someone once said that there are a million ways to tell a story, but only a thousand of them are good. This is not the way to tell this story. Uh, The art I did like. I didn't care for some of the faces. This is because they're not Bagley's rendition of the faces. I had the same issue with the other artists on Ultimate Spider-Man. Uh, but I liked his Spider-Man. I liked uh, his action. I, um, his straight line webs. Yes, Sorry. his straight line webs. I don't really know what to think about the whole Kingpin sad thing because I really don't know how to interpret it. Kingpin sad. <laughs> the whole he's sleeping with Gene DeWolf thing came out of nowhere. It's only in this issue, and it's never mentioned before or after. So he's sad because he thought he was going to get some and now he has to get it from his wife. And everyone knows that getting from your wife isn't as much fun, especially when she's in a freaking coma. So um, 
a couple of just little details that I that I were kind of pulled out. So I think that's probably all that can be left is little nits. Um, whenever we're in the uh, the police department with Gene and there's a guy dressed in a speedball costume getting hauled off to jail. Yeah. I thought having Ultimate Speedball be a, a common dude in the costume was kind of funny, and the fact that he's kind of pudgy. Um, on a on a continuity point, we do find out from Moon Knight's girlfriend that it has been weeks since Warriors at this point. Not that it really matters too much because I've kind of given up at keeping a coherent chronology that makes any sense on a real world calendar. But I'm just throwing it out there. Um, it was kind of one of my hopes when we started doing this podcast that I could keep track of the of the timeline and that it would fit into a school year. And then like after Ultimatum, that could be the vacation and go back into junior year. But no, that doesn't work. I failed. Um, kangaroo for the record is officially lame super lame he's only been in two comics in history which were two issues of amazing spider-man there was a second kangaroo that was in like five comics he's in spectacular spider-man he's part of the legion of losers yeah jmd mateus and he was played up that wasn't kangaroo because kangaroo killed himself that was uh no that was the second kangaroo oh kangaroo okay so you can talk about random, Z-list, never-needs-to-be-seen-again characters, and Kangaroo is definitely on that list. Um, I like this story in the fact that it fits in with the Warriors and Knights arc, and I like those stories, but it's the weakest link of, the, weakest link of that um, uh, song that, that Bendis was spending, spinning. I can't speak. Um... Ultimate Daredevil is a supporting character in the Ultimate Spider-Man universe. He doesn't really have anything about him that makes him unique apart from regular Daredevil, except for the fact that he hates Spider-Man. He had um, two miniseries with Elektra, and those were kind of cool because he wasn't around hating Spider-Man. He was actually a nice guy trying to help Elektra out while she ruined her life. And yeah, the only other thing I noticed was that in the very last scene with the Kingpin sitting all sad in his bedroom, his alarm clock says 11.22, and that makes me wonder if his uh, if, if Bendis is an um, X-Files fan, because they often had 11.22 as their clock readout, because that was, um, what's the writer of X-Files, Chris, Chris Miller or something? His girlfriend or wife's birthday was November 22nd. And he also really likes celebrating the death of JFK. Annual number two is down. Ultimate Spider-Man 99 is here. Covered in October, released August 20th. Who has that? I don't, I don't even remember now. <laughs> I think that is... Uh, Gerard. Gerard has it. Yeah, yep. it's Gerard. Or Gerald. Oh, yeah. I was distracted. I think it was just Gerald. Stop looking at porn oh, and get back to the podcast. <laughs> no, no, no. Some kind of no. Never... <laughs> <laughs> Somebody was talking who was really quiet. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no, I was saying before, November 22nd is also my birthday. Oh, for the lulls. For the lulls, it's my birthday. But I don't my think birthday. that's why it's in the Ultimate Spider-Man comic. I think it is. Okay. <laughs> I think Bendis is a big fan of uh, the many podcasts that... Uh, that didn't exist in 2006. That weren't out at the... That didn't exist in 2000. Well, Bertone Beetle Bonanza was out in 2006. And Crawl Space started in 2006, but I don't know if it was already out by August, because they started late. Actually, no, this would have been the very first episode of Crawl Space. I didn't think about that, but yeah. 
All right, it's another landmark moment in the history of Ultimate Spider-Man is when the Spider-Man Crawl Space started. There you go. Well, the <laughs> podcast, at least. Back then, Zach used to be on episodes. <laughs> Although, who they've got to replace me this next episode is when. Yeah, Thomas Mattis. <laughs> oh, I, I thought it was Steve J. Rogers. No. <laughs> they, be so Steve can come on and then get gangbanged. <laughs> no, no, no one's gonna gangbang no. him. Yeah, that's not. That's not. I don't think that's the term you're looking for. <laughs> uh, just, just so you know, Josh, the way we've been doing this is re- uh, recap person recaps, and then we go around the circle um, with who it's has their thoughts uh, on the issue. CSC. What we do on CSC. And I, I've been calling the shots because I'm cool. Is, is Josh gonna go after Jason in the circle? Um, if that's the way, it's okay with everybody else. Yes, I'm just going to cool. make pithy, pithy comments from there. Well, do you do you want to make comments on this episode? I mean, even though he's already has, okay, I'm shutting up. If we need to officially explain for the episode, Josh Bertoni is joining us because he has just gotten done with his job for the evening and is going to be with us for the rest of this episode and hopefully the next one. Yay! So, Gerard Delator, tell us about Ultimate Spider-Man '99. Two. Ultimate Spider-Man number 99, Colin Saga Part 3, was written by Brian Michael Bendis, penciled by Mark Bagley, inked by John Dell and Andrew Hennessy, colored by Justin Ponsor. It's true. Actually, well, no, did I say Andrew? Because that's actually what his name is, but I guess his credit is Drew. Whatever. All right. Fine. Rewind, Dave. It's inked by John Dell and Drew Hennessy, colored by Justin Ponsor, lettered by Virtual Calligraphy's Corey Pettit. Production done by Brad Johansson, associate editor John Barber, editor Ralph Macchio, editor-in-chief Joe Quesada, and of course, publisher Dan Buckley. It has a cover by Mark Bagley and Richard Eisenhoff. It's a great by picture way, of Carnage on the cover. It, by, by the way, Zach, I promised you I would talk about this, so let's go. I, 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 there was something funny about this cover that I never realized until I went to go recap it, and I've discovered what it is. Her, her freaking shoulder. No, that's not Gwen Stacy. That's Mary Jane recolored to look like Gwen Stacy. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it is. And here's my evidence. Number one, her face looks like the way that Bagley typically draws Mary Jane. But the more damning evidence, she's wearing the same clothing and jewelry that Mary Jane is wearing in this arc. <laughs> Something fishy going on here. And I intend to get to the center. No, but seriously, that's really weird. That is actually a recolored Mary Jane. I never realized it until earlier today. Why is Mary Jane on the cover? A lot of uh, women that are drawn look the same. We were just talking about for issue 25 of Amazing that if you shaved uh, Betty and Liz's head, you wouldn't be able to tell them apart. No, on issue 25, we said that Ditko drew them like differentiating despite their hairstyle. Yeah, their face was were pretty different on that on the infamous page of 25. Uh, I disagree. I remember when the solicits for this issue came out, people were talking holy about her crap, eyes. You saying are that. right. I w- holy crap, dude! That that is that is absolutely correct. What people, people were supposedly yeah, her eye color is a clue. That's what I remember people saying when the solicits for the cover came out. Because like I guess regular Ultimate Gwen, her eyes weren't blue. Yeah, they were like light brown, right? You're I right. think it's Susan Storm. <laughs> Either way, I think that that is definitely a recolored uh, Mary Jane to me to look like Gwen. But that's kind of that's very strange. Why would they do that? I don't know. 
Whatever. Anyway, on to the recap. Uh, just in case you're wondering, this, if you want to build a little drinking game around this one, this is the this is the freak out issue. Every time somebody freaks out after learning some sort of like information or something, take a chug. Assuming you're over chug. 21, not driving, etc. Zach Henderson. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, onward. Continuing from the last issue, Peter continues to freak out over Gwen's reappearance. Glug glug. He tells her that, in fact, she is supposed to be dead, and she's trying to convince him otherwise. Meanwhile, the shadowed figure that kidnapped Mary Jane is starting to reveal his plan to give her superpowers so that she can actually defend herself from all the dangerous things around her. He steps out of the darkness to reveal that he is, in fact, a disfigured doppelganger of Peter Parker, which I guess we'll, you know, hereafter refer to as Kane. Ultimate Kane. Ultimate Kane, wearing a really weird sweater. Ultimate Kane. Okay, okay. You just said really weird sweater. Think about it. Oh God! Look at at the way the sweater is designed. Well, I know there's a spider on it. I'm just saying, where did he buy it? A big spider, as in like the one that the Riley mix the hoodie and the Ben Riley suit together, and you have Kane's shirt. Okay. It's a nice Easter egg, but I can't take my eyes off of his face. <laughs> and neither can Mary Jane, judging by that panel. <laughs> that- the hoodie! The hoodie! No! <laughs> the turtleneck. That- back at the Baxter building, Reed Richards and Sue Storm are trying to get some information out of the quote-unquote scorpion clone. But he freaks out. <laughs> <laughs> Like, this is the second character, and loses consciousness after being sort of shocked by that, uh, like, storage unit bubble thing that he's being held in. From what, uh, somebody help me out here. It looks like he's being held in a sphere that may or may not have liquid in it, and mm-hmm. here, Electro shocks him when he starts to wig out. Am, am I reading right. that, that? That is what happens. Does it shock him, or does he, does he pass out himself? I think when he hits the... Yeah, when he hits the glass, you see the lightning bolts come out. and Because yeah, that was a little confusing. I couldn't quite figure it out. Anyway. I have you in a force field. <laughs> I don't know. It's just weird. Okay, so anyway, after that, after seeing that, the Reed and Sue decide, you know what? They better turn to Nick Fury to get some help. Because he's yeah. always helpful. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Meanwhile, back at the old Parker place, Gwen's trying to recall exactly how she actually ended up there. But her memories are a strange recollection of some escape from, like, a hospital or a laboratory or something she can't quite make out, including a panel where she's sort of flying through the air above the building. Uh, (laughs) I think a vulture broke into somebody's apartment while they were recording. So as they try to come to grips with what's going on, May appears in the doorway. So, of course, naturally, she freaks out. Probably and can't take it much more. Uh, <laughs> and I was going to make that joke. Freak show. <laughs> and she runs away to where their new home is. Because remember, uh, by Gwen's memory, she only remembers the old place that they lived in. After Gwen died in, I guess, ultimate continuity, they moved to a new place. So Gwen appears... Right, because Gwen died. <laughs> oh, Wait, we gotta wait to have this argument until after the recap, Josh. Keep your fans. No, I know. I'm, I'm just gathering evidence as it's coming. <laughs> so, 
Peter and Gwen sort of chase her back to the house, while Peter has to reveal that he is, in fact, Spider-Man in an attempt to explain the situation. He demonstrates his wall-crawling powers, which, by the way, is an inversion of Ultimate Spider-Man number 13. They have, like, the same age and, and panel layout and stuff like that. Except that this time, unlike Mary Jane in that issue, May is unimpressed and tells him to, you know, get the hell off of the ceiling. She begins <laughs> to piece together, and after thinking it over a minute, she tells them to get the hell out. Frustrated by his lies in his secret life. But, suddenly... Shock of shocks. Peter's father, Richard, who was long believed to have been killed in a plane crash alongside his wife and Eddie Brock's parents, appears in the doorway. Mary... Mary Jones. Peter cries, but May appears to be completely unfazed. And still pissed. Yeah, while also being pissed. That, was, that nice... Uh, I, don't know, I don't know how to draw somebody being uninterested and pissed at the same time, but Bagley does it somehow. Meanwhile... <laughs> Back at the Baxter building, Reed and Sue inform Nick Fury about the situation that they have with the captured clone, and Fury makes an ominous call to ready the spider slayers. Dot, dot, dot. End of issue. And then the reader freaks out. Yeah, I know. We needed another freak out to to finally push everybody over the, the legal limit. Okay. And then there's that Joe Casada drawn page of Mary Jane saying, I know, I know, you're freaking out, aren't you? Oh, oh, oh. oh you balls. went there. I was having a good night until you mentioned Joe Casada. Casada! Jason, why don't you start us off? Okay. Uh, we're in issue 99, right? Yes. 99. 99 all night long. Okay. 99 all night long. I'm trying to sing in German, but I can't. German, German, fresh love balloons. <laughs> this is where we add the song in the editing room. Okay. Um, the whole Gwen, I really don't know how I feel about Carnage Poop Gwen. <laughs> quote for Tony. Um, By the way, we don't learn about that until next issue. Okay. Ooh. So a- anyone that's listening to this podcast is right now under the delusion that this is the real Gwen, somehow back from the dead. Yes, yes. It's kind of like back from the edge. Oh, yeah, I went there. No. It's, this whole issue, it it doesn't really feel like that much happens. I mean, you know, they, they, they say, they you know, he comes across Gwen. Uh, you know, Mary Jane's locked up in a glass cell. And, you know, Kane reveals that, you know, hey, it's me, Kane. Uh, Reed and Sue talk to the scorpion Gwen is in a hospital and Aunt May has a heart attack and no she doesn't no that's our next issue is it okay no no heart okay well see it's to me this this whole issue it's not that bad but it feels like it's just padding I don't know oh my god the the events of this issue take about 10 minutes to happen yeah this issue was nothing but padding uh, As opposed to the next issue. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I mean, this, this, and the next issue, and parts of probably the last issue, could have been condensed and made into one issue. But it, no, it, it's not particularly bad. But it's just kind of. Have annoying. you read an issue of Ultimate Spider-Man ever? <laughs> yes, I mean, Josh. And I'm I mean, saying, I'm honestly, I, I know Bendis writes like this, but that this is going. I just think this is a bit worse than usual. You know, 
like what he does now, which is all garbage. I'm, I'm giving it to C. I can't really add anything to this that you guys haven't already gone over, that Gerard hasn't already gone over. It's it, it's a C. It's it's not bad. It's just nothing but padding. It, I don't really think it adds anything to the story. Okay, so C for you. Um, Donovan is saying, ooh, ooh, pick me, pick me. So Donovan, you're next. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Pick me, pick me, sorry. Okay, um, with, with all due respect, padding? Seriously? You, you, nothing happens in this issue? Aunt May, okay, at the very least, Aunt May knows he's Spider-Man, as in addition to Hunter of the People. Um, Spider-Slayers, we learned that the person who kidnapped Mary Jane was Kane, or, or P, like a Peter Parker clone. I mean, I'm really, I, you seriously think nothing happened in this issue? That kind of That kind of puzzles me. Um, but whatever. Okay, yeah, I didn't know what issue we were talking about. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's coming out in editing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Donovan, go. Okay, there's another echo to the clone saga. This goes back to the original one. When Peter first sees the clone Gwen Stacy, he starts breaking down and thinking he's gone crazy. He does that here, which is awesome. Um, on page two or three. I love... Like we pointed out that that, that uh, the Spider-Man clone wearing, wearing a sweater is sort of like a, a veiled homage to Scar Spider's sweatshirt. That's cool. I like how everything every, everybody's just freaking out over here. I, I like yeah somebody's whispering. I don't know. I like I like how everybody's just kind of reacting to this, this craziness, and I think it's really cool. The entire scene where Peter tells Aunt May he's Spider-Man, and eventually Aunt May is like, okay, she can't stand anymore. Says, get out. You're not my son. I gave up my entire adult life to take care of you, even though you're not my son. I mean, I thought that was some really, really good stuff. I really did. Like, I remember, like, that was once I read a comic book that was I was genuinely shocked, and it was something that you probably didn't want to see, but it was done in a good way. I really, really liked that. And then when Richard Parker comes back, okay, page twenty. This is something. This is this is this is something that only a, a master artist like Mark Bagley could do. If you look at if you look at like page twenty with his face, the left side of his face is shadowed. Right. Mm-hmm. Put your hand on. Put your hand on the the left side covering one side of his face, and then look at the other side. Look at them separately. Isn't that cool? Like, can, can you can you see the can you see the difference between like like uh, facial expressions to? It's it's sort of like a hint as to who he is. I think. I mean, I was noticing. I was reading. I was, I was like, "Oh my god!" I don't know. That that, that kind of that blew me away. Like like the way he drew that, and like that seriously to me. It it was it was another one. Of those this is another shock that I, I honestly was was shocked. I was I was surprised, and I wanted to see how this could possibly end up in issue one hundred. So yeah, this is an A plus. Okay, um, Gerard, Don, I'm gonna have to take you to task on that one. You really, you were really actually surprised by Richard Parker appearing in this issue, and you actually thought it was going to go someplace. Because honestly, <laughs> again, it's a story about clones, and a character that supposedly dead reappears. Again, I, I, you, you can't buy that kind of stuff. Well, I'm not saying like I thought. I thought. Well, here's my thing. Did you expect in the next page for Richard Parker to come in? Because I didn't. Well, I didn't expect him to come in, but once he did, I was like, for like a second, I'm like, oh, that's kind of oh, he's a clone. Like it's, you know, it's the immediate next thought as soon as I saw his face was. Well, well you're just a, a pessimist, man. Uh, 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 I'll be honest. I was I was fooled too. And spoiler alert: in the next issue where they give you the flashbacks 
Uh, I mean, that only drove the point home. I was fooled right up until the end. Yeah, exactly. No, maybe maybe it's just that I was looking for that kind of stuff, expecting you know the, the typical clone saga fakeouts, I guess. Um, but as far as the the rest of the issue, I actually you know this issue kind of hit or miss for me. There were a couple of things I really liked. One was the thing where we revealed to you know or Kane or whatever it appears we see his face. That is actually legitimately like a scary page because. Trying to think from Mary Jane's point of view is like he comes out, it's Peter, but like, you know, sort of mutated and kind of off. Two face. That was actually like a. The, the moment actually got me. Where I'm like, oh, oh, creepy. You know, now, to be fair, I hadn't seen. Because this is back before I was really looking at like solicit stuff, and I guess he's on one of the future covers that way. I don't remember if that had been solicited or not. Probably not, because that's like three or four issues away. But yeah, I, I was surprised by that. That I wasn't expecting. I was expecting him to be a little messed up, like Kane. But holy moly, um, Peter telling that Aunt May that he's Spider-Man was also really good. First of all, because it was long overdue. But secondly, because I actually really liked that bit where he jumps up on the ceiling like straight out of Ultimate Spider-Man thirteen. And then instead of being, like, really impressed like Mary Jane was in that issue, Aunt May's like, get down from there. <laughs> I thought that was great. but Get down then, here, fool! But then, like, her reaction after that was kind of, like, off. Like, I don't know about you, but, like, it, it it's kind of hard to, to, like, describe this, I guess. But somebody that raised you or that was, you grew up with or under, like, somebody that was, like, a mother to you, even if you're like, you know, lying to them and, you know, that kind of stuff, they're not going to turn on you and throw you out like that. Like, maybe it's just like a thing in my family or maybe it's just like an experience thing, but uh, I, I didn't buy that. I thought that was actually pretty insincere or just outright out of character for all it made. It was just like, you know, you kids get out right now. You know, I, I just, I, I didn't like that. It, it actually rubbed me the wrong way. It made me hate Aunt May, which is weird because in Ultimate Spider-Man, I actually thought I think Ultimate May is actually a pretty damn good character. Love but, Ultimate Aunt May. Yeah, oh, no, wait, not like love her, but you know. <laughs> the whole um, the, the other thing I didn't like about the issue was that bit between Reed, Sue, and that Scorpion, where he starts talking about like the zoo and stuff. Yeah, Reed, Sue, and the Scorpion are talking are like. Trying to, they're trying to get information out of him, basically. And he starts talking about, like, the zoo. And where was that conversation going? Yeah, I, I don't know. And I don't think they even reference that again. Well, they do, actually, a couple issues later. Uh, I don't know. It just seemed a little, like, misplaced and very, very strange. And it felt like that was just there to eat up space rather than actually like, give an insight or anything like that, but, you know, it's Bendis, Bendis is Bendis, he's gonna waste time to stretch this out into, like, what, like, nine issues when all is said and done, so, um, but, you know, it wasn't bad, it, I actually liked it enough, it was, like, a, maybe a C, C-plus kind of story, the, mainly because I just didn't buy that Richard Parker thing, but I guess your mileage may vary. Uh-huh. Newcomer, Joshua Bertoni. 
Uh, I really don't have much to say. I didn't have time to prepare a lot of notes, but I think I know, I'm sorry for going there, but I think I know why Aunt May is freaking out when she walks into the old house and she sees like Peter and Gwen huddled in the corner. If you're May Parker and your nephew's in an old abandoned house with a girl for all intents and purposes, you know, is dead. If I was May Parker, my first thought would be, oh, my God, Peter dug up Gwen and he's like using <laughs> acrophilia. Look I'm sorry up. to go there, but I mean, like, Matt, you're on May. And... No, no, it's fine. It's just. Yeah, but Aunt May doesn't have time to process the fact that Gwen was a mummy. Like, this all happened in the span of, like, two seconds. You walk in, your your nephew's in the house with a dead girl huddled in a corner. It's like... <laughs> oh, why did you have to go there? It's just... It's what we it's do. It's just scary as fuck. That, look, 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 look at her face. When she's like, no, ah! no, no. I mean, I... I you just brought it up in a whole new light. Bendis is like, yeah, that's exactly what I meant. <laughs> and then and then she's running in the house going, no, no, go, go. I, I, can't see, to- I can't see a Spider-Man story, but I can see that being a story. And it's, it's, uh, it's just, you know, I, I, but in a cool way, it's just, it's just, you know. There's uh, a lot of peeps in this, in this episode. Actually, actually, there's been a few stories about Peter digging up Gwen since past where he dug her up, but not to have sex with her. But then there was that what if story. What if Spider-Man the other where at the end he does dig her up? Well, the symbiote. Out of the purple. I, I, I never read, Mary Jane I never read that. Sometimes I talk to you, Tony, and I find reasons to hate Spider-Man. So um, when I first read this, going back to 2006, yes, I liked Don, and unlike Gerard, I was thrown for a loop when Richard Parker walks in the door, and when May Parker basically says, "Get out! You're not my son." You're like that's that's something that you would never expect. Six one six Aunt May to say. So, I mean, they, they did pull out the surprises here. I didn't really care about you know Scorpion and the glass talking about the zoo and. Apparently, the only thing that Gwen remembers about being in captivity was that there was no TV. So, you know, <laughs> she makes a note. She's like, it was a, uh, there was no TV. So, yeah, way to be 15 years old. You know, got your got your priorities straight. But actually, it seems, it seems like a really 15 year old thing to say for me. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, I know that, that. Yeah, that, that's why I said it's like way to be 15 years old. You know, I don't know if I was, I don't know if I was dumb to say that when I was 15. There was no TV. I guess they have one in the house. Well, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, when I first read this, I like I thought, and we we find out what really happened next issue that Richard Parker was alive all along, and that May's known like all along, not for six months, as the next issue leads you to believe, but that like since Peter was a baby, she's known that this guy's alive, just judging by her reaction, and then she's get out of my house. You're not my son. It, 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 this was all like really surprising stuff for me. Just to swap up the Zacks, Ultimate Zack, you go first. Um, okay. Um, I like the issue. Uh, like almost everybody else, I thought the uh, Aunt May freak out and kick out thing was way out of place and out of nowhere. Um, I also was surprised to see Richard Parker because it's just so... What? No? Um, I like the art. I actually really enjoyed this issue, so I'm going to give it a B. All right. And um, Zach, uh, Spidey Dude, Spidey Dude, Zach. Zach Joyner. How about a uh, not muting your mic, Zach Joyner? Yes, I feel like I'm like part of the crawl space now. Okay, go. <laughs> um, 
Well, I like this issue. The artwork was pretty good consistently throughout, although my only quibble is is the scorpion suit where it kind of feels like Keter's head's detached from the rest of his body in that very in that second panel, the close up pan, first close up panel with Peter. If you look at it. Um that's my only quibble about the art. Otherwise, I pretty much set everything up pretty well for number 100. So, uh, pretty excited about that. Uh, Richard Parker was like, <gasps> up So, yeah. Epic, epic, epic reveal. That was the epic reveal of this issue. So Yeah, it was. Uh, there you go. And that's that's my thoughts on 99. I'm going to give it a solid B+. This, I don't know if it's the, but it's at least one of my favorites of the story. Um, it might be the favorite issue of the story for me um, because of the reveals, because of the um, the complete emotional roller coaster that you're going through. Yes, it only takes place in the span of about 10 minutes, but this is Bendis writing, and um, Wednesday is the third day of the week. So, I mean, it's just ulti- you know obvious stuff there. So, um, Wednesday, okay. what, what does that have to do with anything? Just the fact that this, you know I was saying obvious things that Bendis is writing only takes about 10 minutes. So. Just just pulling out some of the story elements I like and why I like them. Some of you maybe lost someone that was really close to you and then later dreamed that they're still alive. And those kinds of dreams can be really happy or really crappy depending on the dream. Um, so it's like when you actually you know try to imagine seeing somebody for real that's back from the dead, that would be a huge WTF freakout moment. And I can, you know, only imagine what Peter's actually going through there. Um, going over to the Mary Jane Kane scene, uh, Oscorp was this huge scientific complex of issue one. It's basically the um, the nascent point of the Ultimate Spider-Man story, and it's now a shack, which you know, kind of strikes a chord with me. Um, I wrote down, do you think this is supposed to be a riff on Kane with like, you know, the scars and deterioration and stuff going on? And of course we've already, you know, made that point pretty clear at this <laughs> oh, point. Shit, really? <laughs> well, you're talking about obvious things like Wednesday being the middle of the week and Bendis writing take 10 minutes. Yes. The clone with the half scarred face is supposed to be a riff on Kane. <laughs> so there's that. Um, it was mentioned on Amazing Spider-Man Classics when we talked about like issue 20 or 29, one of the two Scorpion stories. Somebody mentioned how the Scorpion, at his basic concept, is like an evil version of Spider-Man. They're both super strong arachnid-based power sets, and so it kind of makes sense to me that Bendis would use a Parker clone for the Scorpion here. Uh, I kind of dig that. Um, the, the Richard Parker reveal... I knew it was in the story. I knew that his parent, his dad had a, had a role in the story, and I remembered how that played out. I didn't remember when it happened. So when I was reading through this issue, and I turned the page, and he's standing in the frickin' door, I was like, ah! I forgot about <laughs> this! It's right here! Wow! Cool! Because um, I really, really like the emotional moment with Peter of having your dad come back from the dead. Um, that's, that's pretty intense with me. I really hate where it happens and where it goes, but we'll go with that later. Um, Peter Parker unmasking for Aunt May. Um, I love how her reaction is anger. Because this has been very much in keeping with this version of Aunt May and the way the story's been going. 
She is not some frail old lady with one foot constantly going in and out of her grave and even maybe two feet going in it sometimes. She is angry at Spider-Man. She does not like Spider-Man. And now this kid that she's been giving and giving to and has been increasingly lying to her and she's been having trouble being his mother. Now she finds out that he's Spider-Man. Yeah, I can see how her initial reaction is, you know what? I do not even want to see you right now. Get out of my face. Get out of my house. I don't think it was necessarily like a I'm kicking you out thing. I think this is sort of emotion that she's going to repent later. But yeah, get out. I can see that coming from her. That was that was pretty cool. Um, I still haven't read the whole Peter Parker's parents saga from the 90s. The little bit I know about it, um, I didn't know when I first read this. But now, knowing that that event was part of the build-up to the Clone Saga, it's cool that Bendis tied it all together here. Um, the Peter Parker's parents thing was definitely a prelude to you know where Peter Parker was in the Clone Saga, and just bringing that emotion into this story is very very cool. Well, and the Scorpion was in the st- one of the stories right before the Clone Saga too. So okay, he beat the crap out of him. Like he literally beat the living snot out of this freaking Scorpion. It was ridiculous. Ridiculous. <laughs> but the clone saga got to have Lady Scorpia instead. Exactly. Just lots of really good stuff. I liked seeing Gwen back. Gwen Stacy is possibly my favorite character of the entire series. Did you just say Gwen back? Gwen back. Okay, it sounded Gwen like you said back. you were trying to make some joke about Glenn Beck, and I'm like, I don't no, see what Gwen Stacy no. has to do with Glenn Beck. No, I would make jokes about Gwen Glenn Beck, but there's not really a context here. So I'll, I'll look for one if you want me to. No, that's, that's fine. I was just curious. I'm like, what? No, I liked having Gwen back. Um, she is, like I said, one of my favorite characters, possibly my favorite character of the entire series. And having her back was very cool. Um, I didn't really question. I didn't really ask the question in my head, is this a clone or how is she back? I just... Usually when they do a reveal, I'm not questioning it so much as wondering what it's going to mean and what's going to happen next. So like in the first issue, when we found out Scorpion was Peter, I wasn't like, oh, you know, I totally wouldn't have seen that coming. But, you know, more like, what are they going to do now? So, yeah, really, really good story. Um, It's a very emotion-driven story. It's a very – he's definitely playing to shock your emotions. Some people might call that manipulative. Um, my father-in-law is not really a fan of people who are totally just trying to twist your emotions around their finger and make you think the way they want you to think through the entire story. So I can see how some people might not like it for that. The stuff in the, uh, the fantastic four lab in this particular issue, I didn't give care about. Um, one continuity note is that he pulls out the spider slayers, um, on the last page. We just saw those mentioned in a tease at the end of the silver sable arc, which was like some six or seven issues before this series started. So um, that's all I have on that. And that would bring us to the end of this episode. Yeah. That's gonna about, and, that, and, that, and, that. and that's going to about wrap this one up. So uh, on behalf of myself and Mr. John Wilson and Zach Henderson, we'll uh, bid you adieu and uh, join us back next time for issue 100 and 101. More plot twists, more turns, more weaving in and out of continuity. And so come back on each one of our respective feeds. We'll see you there.